Hey there, thanks for joining us for the latest podcast from Resound Church. We really believe that together we are better, and our heart is to reach, send, nurture, and disciple people as they become all that God has intended them to be. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or head over to our website, resound.church forward slash app, to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. I want to continue this morning speaking about grace, or not so much grace, one component of grace. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about grace, we've talked about generosity, talked about relationships, and last week, Sarah's talked about authenticity. And um, my job this morning is to deal with probably one of the more difficult words in the group, and that's the word compelling. And some people would rightly say is compelling of value... um, And, you know, there's debate about that. But as I get into helping you understand what we're meaning, I think you'll understand what it means. It's important to know, too, that the values are meant to be personally applicable, not just corporately applicable. Um, Some organisations would have values that they espouse, but it's uh, it's what the organisation does as opposed to who the people are. Now, we know that the church is not a building. It's not an institution. It's people. It's you and I, and somehow we become the church as we come together, we connect with one another, and we're the church going out into the community, and and, and so it is important to understand that these values are not something that the organisation has, it's something that the individuals have, and as the individuals come together, the organisation should exhibit as well. You know, just a few things, that uh, phrases that we use from time to time, uh, say something more about the church. One of those is this, in this team, everyone plays. I'm sure when you were younger, perhaps in school, uh, you'd go through the process in a team sport and um, uh, some people would get picked first and some people would get picked reluctantly at the end, depending on your sporting prowess. You know, you'd be standing there waiting and waiting and they'd be down to uh, one pick each, and you'd be thinking, gee, hopefully they'll pick me now, I'm not sure. Um, but the point of this phrase is this, in this team, everyone plays. This isn't a team limited by number. There's a role, a responsibility, a part to play for every person, no matter who you are, where you're from, or what your experience or background is. Um, God's got a team of people, and he's built us all to fit within the team that he's created. Another one that I've been thinking about recently is this, we care for people and we control things. If there's something that's distasteful, it's people that control people. Is that right? It's, 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 there's, it leaves an awful taste in, in our mouths. We control things and we care for people. Two different things. Another one is we share a message of grace and hope. In other words, it doesn't matter where you are. You don't get one shot at receiving the message. The message continues, and it's not our message, it's the message that Christ came to share with us all, a message of grace and hope. I want to read to you this morning from a few verses of Scripture to start, um, and they're primarily from the New International Version. They use the word compel. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, and Paul's speaking to the church there, he says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. So Paul is saying, 
There is something about the love of God in him pushing him to do what he is doing, forcing him to do what he is doing. In Job 32 and verse 18, it says this, For I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Now this is, uh, most of us understand the story of Job. Job's got these great friends that rip into him at a time of his deepest need. And there's this young guy there, Elihu, who, sitting, listening to the conversation, pondering what's being said, and then he gets to a certain point and he says this, I'm full of words and the spirit within me compels me. In other words, there's something coming from the inside of me that is pushing me to say something. Now, he was no better than the rest, but nonetheless, he responded to what was taking place within. In Exodus 3.19, it says, a very simple verse, it says this, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Discussion between Moses and God, and we know the story again of the Israelites as they uh, escaped Egypt, and God knew that there was no way that Pharaoh was going to let the people go unless God moved and compelled him to let them go. And we know the story and how it happened and what happened, but again, it was God that forced or compelled Pharaoh to let people go. Some dictionaries define the word compels as to force or oblige someone to do something, to bring about something by use of force or pressure to produce a strong feeling or a reaction. And a reasonable question that some people might ask is then why would we use that word and, and, and attempt to say that it's a value? And because it appears to be wrong. Well, it's, it's not wrong, it's just the way we understand the word can often be wrong. You see, we ought to be compelling people. And we ought to be compelling ourselves, but we ought to be compelling others. It's the way you compel that determines whether it's right or wrong. It's the other day I was at home and um, I was just working outside mowing some lawns and this car turned up, went through the first gate, then came, got to the second gate, I opened the gate and it was clearly working. And this lady got out and I thought, oh, maybe it's a visitor for mum and dad, you know. And she said, "Uh, I'm sorry, but I see that you're very busy, but we're just Christian people who have a message we'd like to bring you. (laughs) So I took the pamphlet, said, yeah, you're right, I am busy, thanks. Put it in my pocket and kept working. And then they proceeded to try and get out out of the property. And I thought, that's nice, they're Jehovah's Witnesses. And... um, You know, we've all been compelled by some group or another. When you look at advertising, what do you think they're trying to do? They're trying to compel you to buy something. When when you're, you know, in in a, a car yard and you're looking at a car and a salesperson walks over, what do you think they're trying to do? They're trying to compel you to buy a car. Whether you can afford it or not, they have this low finance. It doesn't matter if you're unemployed and you haven't worked for 10 years. We have a financial plan that will enable you to buy this brand new Mercedes and you don't have to worry about anything. (laughs) 
banks don't banks don't do it as much, but they used to send out letters to you if you had a credit card, and uh, and they would increase the limit of your credit card. Why do you think they do that? They want to compel you to spend money on your credit card. It's a it's a awful tactic because most of the time the people that spend the most on their credit card and don't pay it are the ones that can least afford it and they're also the one that used to, ones that used to receive the letters in the mail saying you know you're you've gone from a $1000 limit to a $10000 limit the fact that you've been on the limit the whole time you know that's a warning sign and so what happens is all around us there are people and th- and organisations compelling us. And the resistance we have often to being compelled puts us in a place where we no longer compel others. Can I suggest to you that that's the opposite of what should be happening? I want to oblige someone to acknowledge God through the weight of my love for them. Say that love is irresistible, and I'm not sure that that's quite so true. But if, if we exhibit the love of God, love of Christ, through our lives, we should move people to a place where they have to make a decision, either to accept or to reject. We don't want them to accept or reject our words because our words can uh, uh, lead us down the garden path. What we need to do is exhibit love in such a way that they feel obliged to accept or or, or, or reject the love of Christ coming through us. It's It's a form of compelling people, if you like. We want to pressure someone to believe what the Bible says when their enemy is attempting to destroy their life through their mind, their experience, or even their peers. Now, This is true not only outside the church, but even more so inside the church. I want to, if I can, increase the pressure on you to believe what the Bible says for your good so that you get the life that we've been talking about in John 10.10, so that you can get the best out of life. I spoke just briefly, um, I can't remember, one of the nights this week, just briefly about the coronavirus and if there's one thing, and you know, we understand it's a very difficult situation for so many people, but what's worse is the fear that it's creating around the world. People are mistreating other people out of fear. And fear is useless in this situation. It's not doing anybody any good to be fearful about something that isn't on your doorstep. There there are things that we should do practically if we're travelling to to Japan or China and Jared's headed off this morning to Japan. There are things that we can do practically and exercise wisdom, but you waking up tomorrow morning fearful of the coronavirus does you no good and it does the people around you no good. The Bible says, and this is where uh, I'm I'm demonstrating what we ought to do, the Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power and a sound mind. The opposite of a sound mind is fear. 
Now, I haven't got time to talk about all of this this morning, but the opposite of a sound mind is fear. In other words, when your fear takes control of what you ought to be thinking, it brings about destruction. And the father of destruction, the one who steals, kills and destroys, we know who he is. He's doing whatever he can to stop you from believing what the Bible says. Because if you believe what the Bible says, it will produce a good outcome in your life and in your thinking. I want to personally and collectively fulfill the prophetic statement of Christ in John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, will every, by everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you, have, if you love one another. I say it's a prophetic statement because it's still to come to pass. Jesus teaching the people said, you know, this is, this is what we ought to do. We ought to demonstrate our love for each other. And that will be a message to those around about us. It will be a compelling message to those around about us. It will produce in them the demand that requires a decision to either see it and honour it or see it and reject it. And so for all of us, you know, it's, it, it ought to be our goal not only to... Sorry, this is something's going wrong here, but that's okay. Uh, it's getting worse, but that's all right. It'll come good in a second. Um, it's, it's the sort of thing that we ought to put into practice. I'll get this right in two secs. It all went blue. It's okay. It heard the comment and reacted to the comment. It's a prophetic statement, it's something that's still to come to pass, but it is coming to pass here and now. If there's something that annoys me or irritates me or upsets me, it's this, it's when people get ripped off. How many of you have been the subject of a scam or some sort of fraud? I have. Few people have. Mine wasn't one of the loved ones, you know, where, you know, it's <laughs> just explaining. <laughs> we bought something on the... Bought something on the internet many years ago and uh, paid the money as you do and it didn't turn up. And spoke to the police and they said, yep, you're number 175 or whatever it was. Um, but I was annoyed. I was really annoyed. But there's no point getting annoyed and frustrated at the computer because that's about all we could do. We didn't know who the person was. We didn't know where they lived. There was nothing that we could do. Getting ripped off is an awful feeling. And if you've been ripped off in some way or another, uh, whether a financial scam, whether it's something that somebody has done to you, whether it's somebody has owed you something that have not paid, then it leaves a bitter or foul taste in your mouth and you get annoyed. Now, I get annoyed because often what I see is people living their lives getting ripped off in the process. It's sort of like uh, they're not getting value out of life that they ought to get. It. And it's because there's, a, uh, there's an enemy that wants to steal, kill and destroy. He wants to do what he can to upset you and to, dis and, and to destroy the experience of life. Experience of life, the good thing is I've got my other notes down there. The experience of life that you ought to have. 
I'm compelled by what I read in the Bible, what I feel in my spirit, what I see with my eyes. And I know there are better days ahead for me and there are better days ahead for you, but it does depend on how you respond to what the Bible says. I'm compelled to move and shape, to force and pressure, to motivate and obligate through appropriate means to move people towards the fullness of all that God has got in mind for them. I'm sure many of you have been in a circumstance where someone has suffered some loss of some sort and you've had to encourage them because what they're experiencing or what they're losing is hurting them and what they need is someone who can, if you like, take charge and say, listen, it's not as bad as you think that it is. And you know, I, I think I mentioned a couple of, uh, a while back, you know, but the girls as they were growing up and getting licenses, inevitably with uh, cars, there's accidents, isn't there? It's okay if the accident is in their car, not in mine. You know, if someone dints mine, I get annoyed. But And there is a little dint, in, uh, anyway. <clears throat> not from the ram, this one either. And what happened, you know, from time to time, the girls would crash the car. I think Michaela was away one time and uh, she was reversing out and into a tree. Do you remember that, Michaela? Jack remembers it. There's a few laughter, a bit of laughter there. And of course, she comes home all upset. Another time she was driving home and uh, Ruth and I, Oh, there's been multiple times, don't worry. Another time, and Ruth or I are actually in bed, you know. She's come home late, should have been home earlier, if you ask me, so if you're right. <clears throat> and she comes in, and, and she's crying uncontrollably. It's like, war. Some, something really bad has happened. And she's, I just smashed into a kangaroo, and she wasn't worried about the kangaroo, where she should have been. And, um, and, you know, it was, like, it was like World War III had broken out. I, I'm not understating it. She was really, really upset. And I said, don't worry, it's only a car. You can fix cars and as long as you're okay. And um, the kangaroo bounced away. Um, and, and, and then when I did look at it, what had happened is I went out. I think, I didn't know, I think I did it the next day because it was going to be damaged in the morning and I thought there's no point doing it at night when I'm in bed, you know. I went out the next morning and pushed the little... I, I expected to see the whole front of the car destroyed, right? When I did have a look at night, I couldn't see anything wrong. In the morning, when I, I went and found a small little dent in the plastic bumper bar, I think it was, and I pushed it back out and there was no other damage. The kangaroo probably had a few bruises, but he leaped off somewhere else. Now, the point is this, you know... She was in a place of hysteria, completely uncontrollable, just way over the top. And so what Ruth and I did was we attempted to calm her down. We used words to move her from where she was to where we thought she ought to be. Um, if you like, we compelled her to move beyond the experience or the emotion she was having right then. Why were we doing that? For her good. We're trying to rebalance things. We're trying to um, help her get through this experience she was having. And so what you do in those circumstances is you compel people to move to the place where you think they should be. Worst case scenario, she did ride off the car. Well, it's only a car. 
And she could spend the next 10 years paying off her insurance excess and after 10 years it would have been fine. <laughs> but, but the reality is this, and it's a silly and humorous example, the reality is this, too many people live their lives going through pain and heartache that if only they could believe what the Bible says would make a significant difference. And I'm not talking about people overtly sinning, I'm talking about just a simple mindset change would make a difference. We, we need to believe what we read and, and part of my responsibility, part of our collective responsibility is to compel one another to believe what the Bible says because it's for our good. John 8 verse 32 says this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I want people to be set free. I said um, on Thursday night at the team night, we were created with free will. Right from the beginning when God created us, he gave us the ability to make a decision. As soon as we uh, give up the right to make a decision, we become subject to the thing that we blame and we come under that thing. If I can use a simple example from Genesis, Adam and Eve ate an apple. We know that, don't they? Don't we? It was their decision to do that. But what happened when God fronted up to Adam and he, he said this, he said, uh, number one, why are you wearing the fig leaf? Why are you covering up? I know that goes back to the last week's sermon about being authentic. Why are you covering up? In other words, why are you putting on a facade? Adam tried to explain why. He said, well, I was naked, you know, he didn't want you to... Mind you, all of the other times it had been okay. And the other thing he said was, why did you eat the apple from the tree? He said, because the wife you gave me, the wife you gave me, gave it to me. And so what happened is Adam went from the decision maker to the person subject to the circumstance. He blamed somebody else and he put himself under, he was no longer over. And can I say to you, whatever your challenge, whatever your situation, it may be in the area of health, it may be in the area of relationships, it may be in the area of finances or whatever it is, the moment you allow yourself to be subject to the circumstance... You become something less than God created you to be. He, give, he gives us power over situations and circumstances. Now, that doesn't change the circumstance. It's about our mindset. Because, you know, if you're struggling with a significant health issue, just because you're over rather than under, it doesn't mean the health thing gets all perfect, but it does maintain your right to make a decision about how you respond. When you put yourself under the circumstance, you become subject to it and say, well, it's not my fault, it's because I've got this problem. Well, that's the sad thing with that is you hurt yourself in the process because you disempower yourself. God doesn't want us to be disempowered. He created us with a free will, the ability to make a decision. And, and as a result of that, there is a sense of freedom. Jesus said, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Does that mean you will be healed simply because you put yourself over rather than under? No, it doesn't mean that. 
As a matter of fact, uh, 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 there's a whole lot of stuff that we can be over and reserve the right to make decisions about, but it doesn't change the fact that we're suffering from whatever it is that we're going through. But the mindset change is really important because you are either empowered or disempowered. And God, according to the Bible, he wants us to be empowered so that we can think and act as we choose to rather than being subject to something that's over us. I'm sick of seeing people bound up in ways that restrict them. Some are stuck, and I'll say this slowly, because they don't know. And so where we, where we can, we ought to give them an education. Some are stuck because they don't believe. And where we can, what we want to do is compel them to believe. Some are stuck because they don't think they deserve. Well, the Bible is clear, none of us deserve anything, but God in Christ has given us all that we need. And we don't deserve it, but he's given it to us nonetheless. Jesus made a promise to us all that the truth would set us free, so we need to believe. So why the word compelling? I felt we needed a word that personified the urgency of our mission. The reality is this, at a moment in time, there is a need for urgency. Now there is a a, a broad sense of urgency in the world that we live in, we understand that. But at the time when Michaela come home and we were like drifting off to sleep and she came in like World War Three had started, there was a need to compel her to move from where she was to where she needed to be so that we could get back to sleep. But also so that she could get to sleep as well. So there was a sense of urgency in the moment because we didn't want her to, clearly she was suffering emotionally as a result of what had happened. We didn't want her to continue to suffer. It was unnecessary. And so there was a sense of urgency. And and when you're compelling someone, usually there's urgency in it. We have an urgent mission. There is no doubt about that. That mission revolves around the message of grace and hope that we talk about. I think we needed a word that articulated the determination we have to fulfill it. In some ways, I'm explaining the word compelling because it has a negative connotation of force behind it. But the reality is we're in a fight. We're in a battle. And and, and the battle is uh, for our well-being. Well, I said before from John 10.10, we've got one, the enemy that wants to steal, kill and destroy... And Jesus who's come to give life. And there is a fight on whether we want it to be on or not. It doesn't actually matter whether you want the fight or you don't want the fight. You're in a fight. The enemy's goal is to steal, kill and destroy. And he doesn't get satisfaction from a momentary win. His goal, if he gets one win, is to go for another and another and another. And he keeps at it until he completely destroys you. And it's so sad when you see that happen in somebody's life. On the other hand, when we accept what Jesus has done, it's about the truth setting us free and it's about a, a life of progressively understanding what, that, what it is to live in that freedom and to experience life as Jesus wanted us to, to live it. And, and, and there ought to be a sense of determination to set people free. We think back to the story of uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt and Moses went back time after time after time. Why? Because he wanted the people to be set free. Wanted a word that indicated something of the impact of the transformation of our lives as a result of Christ. 
not standing up here talking to you because the Bible says it and I feel an obligation to teach you what the Bible says. I'm standing here testifying of what God has done in my life. And so with that, there's, a, there's a, 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 a tension that comes. There's the story we've heard, the story we know, but, but the sense of, hang on, if I've got this, it's not just for me alone, it's for everybody. And, 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 you know, I wish that it was once and for all, and we know that Christ died once and for all, but the, uh, but the process of moving into freedom is progressive. And where one has freedom and another doesn't, the ideal is that we move everyone towards complete freedom so that they can enjoy the life that Jesus intended them to experience. I want to be compelling. It shows I'm convinced. It shows I'm determined. It shows that others matter. It shows how serious I am and it demonstrates the lengths I'm prepared to go to to set people free. We're not indifferent. We're not easygoing. We're not insipid or reluctant. We're protective. This is a safe place and I will push and push to see people experience victory in their own lives. And what we're doing with Encounter Nights is is part of that process. It's reading a part of what's in the Bible and then applying it to our life. I said it before, I'll say it again. No point, you can know the Bible back to front. The, the, The benefit is not in knowing the Bible, the benefit is in practicing what it says. And, 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 you know, what we need to do is keep practicing so that we can experience the freedom and the truth that Jesus came to give us. You can be compelling while at the same time being imperfect. You can be compelling even though you may stumble or make mistakes. You can be compelling even while you're working out your own stuff. If life was made of a hundred different things, if you've got victory in one area, talk about it. doesn't mean you've got it all together, but if the one thing that I've got victory in um, is applicable to somebody else, then I should talk to them because they might get victory in that area as well. They might share the story of victory they've got in one of the other areas and together we all grow. When we talk about compelling people, we're not talking about removing their choice, but simply presenting what we present in a way that moves them to a point at which they can make a decision. You know, it's a nice thought to think that love is irresistible, but the reality is it is. Uh, It is resistible. Because if love was uh, irresistible, then that would mean absolutely everyone would receive what God has done. But the fact is, God created us with the ability to make a choice and we can choose to accept or reject what he's done for us. And so your best efforts may result in people moving to a place where they experience all that you talk about, but they may also choose not to. It shouldn't change our perspective or our determination to continue to love. But what we ought to do is continue to present ourselves in a way that's both palatable and optional. I'm going to finish in just a couple of seconds and we're going to go through a couple of things. Tim, if you could come for us, that'd be great. How do you become compelling no matter what your personality type? Number one, accept that you are loved unconditionally and that others are too. It's all right, it's working. 
One of the biggest challenges for all of us is to accept that God loves us just as we are. And then to accept ourselves just as we are. God loves you just as you are. You've got mistakes, you've got problems, you're flawed or fractured. God loves you anyway. You might not like yourself, but you need to move into line with what the Bible says about you and receive yourself, no matter what your current view is. Second, allow your learning, your reading to be inspired by God. Allow His Spirit to rise within you and to move you to what's really important. One of the enemy's tactics is to increase the value of one thing to distract you from the thing that is of real value. Just the other day, seen on the internet, um, I think it was in, it wasn't in Milan, where was it? It was in uh, Monaco. Guy was driving his Ferrari, a classic Ferrari, worth $2 million. Whatever happened, happened, but it caught fire and there's a video image of a guy with a garden hose from the balcony squirting it on the Ferrari as it's burning up. We can laugh because it wasn't ours, but... (laughs) And I'm assuming the guy laughed. He's probably wealthy enough to go and buy another one if he needs it. We all get distracted by the enemy who revalues things and makes them appear to be more important than they actually are. Do you know what? The car's gone. Well, I'm assuming it's gone. It doesn't actually make any difference. Things don't matter. I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about relationships. The only thing that really matters is relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with others. As a matter of fact, God says, Jesus said, the two are the same. They're of equal importance. Some people say, oh, I love God. I just don't like people. Well, you failed at the first one then. I read, you know, from 1 John. It's not possible to love unless you love God. It's, sorry, it's not possible to not love others if you love God. You can't have it both ways. If you love God, then it's likely that you'll be able to love others. But you can't love God and not love others. It's not possible. We've got to allow our learning, our reading to be inspired by God. We need to allow His Spirit to rise within us and move us to what's really important. Thirdly, we need to attempt to see the people around you as Christ does. His view of the people around you is different to your view. His view is much more tolerant than yours. We know that from the Gospels, the way that he spoke and treated people there. We need to see the people around us as Christ does. We need to feel for them. We need to pray for them. We need to love them in a way that helps move them forward. Helping someone else produces a great reward for the helper and for the helped. And the goal is not to get a reward, but there is a reward when you get the opportunity of helping someone. I'm not talking about some accolade, but an internal sense of you're doing what you know is right. God created us to help one another. And so that internal reward that you experience, the sense of contentment that you know is open and available to all if only you'd be willing to help. Fourthly, 
always hold to the truth. I'm not talking about telling the truth, though I think that's a good idea. But hold to the truth. The truth is we're set free in Christ. Stay with the word and stay convinced. The enemy wants to attack. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to break you down. He wants to steal, kill and destroy. We need to be compelling because we've got a message of grace and hope that makes a difference to those around us. Not just the people in the community, but the people right here amongst us here and now. And as we love one another, whether you say anything or not, your love becomes a compelling message to the people that are close to you. Second Peter chapter 1, 3 to 4 says this, for by his divine power, God has given, it, given us everything we need for living a godly life. We received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. I haven't got time to explain all of that this morning, but suffice to say, God has your best in mind. He's also got the best in mind for the person sitting next to you, sitting in front of you, sitting behind you. God has got the best in mind for the people that we work with, the people that are in our neighborhood. It's his desire for us to be compelling, sharing a message of grace and hope exhibited through love so that people get a chance to choose. I want to be more compelling. I want our church to be more compelling. I want it to be identified by the love that we share with one another in a way that encourages and moves people forward. Will you stand together with me? Not sure if uh, there are cookies available afterwards, are there? They, they are going to bake them. So if you're feeling, you know, if you've got some intestinal fortitude, <clears throat> choose carefully. There might be many available, but there will be some apparently. So what are you going to do to become more convinced? You already know enough. You just got to believe what you know and put it into practice. Father, my prayer today is this, that you would make us to be those who live with a sense of strong conviction, live boldly, confidently, no matter what our personality type, that we might, as it were, demonstrate your love to those all around about us. We know we're in a battle and the, and the enemy is fighting using all the tactics he can. Lord, we're not insipid. We're not just easygoing. We're going to fight too. We're going to fight for the well-being, for the souls of those around about us. We're going to stand up and we're going to declare the truth so that people can get the opportunity of living in the truth. We're not going to step back, we're going to step forward. We're going to step forward to protect, step forward to love, step forward to provide a door that others might walk through so that they might know victory.
I pray for everyone in this place today. Father, touch them right where they are, right now by your Holy Spirit. Let them experience new levels of freedom and release in this week ahead, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, what a great message. Thanks for joining us here at Resound Church. We pray that you've been encouraged through the message and that you've grown just a little bit closer to God. While you're online, why don't you head over and give us a like on Facebook or Instagram or check out our website at resound.church. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or head over to our website resound.church forward slash app to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. Well, don't forget next week, there'll be another amazing podcast here to listen to from Resound Church. We hope you join us then.